Well, good morning. My name is Keith Brault, and I'm one of the pastors here and eager to open God's word with you all this morning. We're going to talk about some of those things that we just heard read. And particularly, as we look to the next five weeks or so, we're going to be following this theme through scripture of the table, um, this importance, this centrality, this ongoing invitation for us, for you, for me, for our community, for the world to come to the table. As we know in our heads, but not always in practice, the gospel is much more than correct information. It's more than just the best religious idea or a religious idea. It's better than instructions for a wiser, more proper, respectable way of life. We know that in our heads, but if we're honest, if I'm honest, it's, it's not hard to reduce the gospel to that. It's not hard as we were exhorted so many times in that Deuteronomy passage. It's so hard to, to remember that it's more than that. It's so hard to not forget in the busyness of, um, of tending vineyards that we didn't plant and drinking from cisterns that we didn't dig and going about our business and living with our families and walking along the way, whatever that looks like for you. It's so easy to forget that it's not just about doing that stuff, staying busy, staying proper, staying respectable, but we know in our heads, and hopefully these scriptures will help push that seed deeper into our hearts and into our experience, that this announcement of the gospel, this announcement of the covenants, it's more than just an announcement. It's more than just news. We're coming through the summer, and so probably some of you have gotten, we've certainly gotten birth announcements recently, and there are more to come soon. Um, Wilson and Callie, as you notice, aren't here, and, and there are some that are, um, have preceded them recently and will follow them soon. A wedding invitation or a birth announcement is more than just that, right? I mean, it, it points to something exciting and substantial. The birth is not the announcement, but the announcement is part of it. I think that's another way to think about this, that the gospel is news, it's an announcement, but, but kind of in the same way as a wedding announcement is an announcement or a birth announcement is an announcement. It points to something else. The gospel is that our creator, the creator of everything that we know, is looking to forge a real and breathing and day-to-day -day and face-to-face -face living bond with us and all that he has made. So the gospel's not just information. The gospel points us to the, the reality that your God is knocking on your door, asking to come in to you and to your life and take up his home on your turf the gospel is news. The gospel is an announcement of that. News about this covenant. How does God get this covenant across? How does he bring this new relationship to us? And how does he keep it going? How does God 
bring that kind of announcement or bring that kind of new reality to your door? How does he deliver it to you? And then how does he maintain it and keep it going day to day and year to year and decade to decade? As we consider this theme through the um, Old Testament and the New Testament, a good way to understand this, a way that God uses maybe primarily to make it real and to bring it to us and to bring us into it is through meals. Through a meal, think back over the span of your life to some of your favorite meals, like a smell of a roast, right, can just bring you to a place. My parents have both passed away, but when I smell... um, The standing rib roast in the oven on Christmas Day, it just brings me through this amazing journey where I'm almost experiencing being with my parents again and that Yorkshire pudding that's in there, um, taking those drippings, mm, mm, mm. (laughs) Those meals, a a meal, uh, it, it communicates intimacy. It it communicates companionship. A meal represents respect, mutual respect. It encompasses knowing and being known, acceptance, safety. A meal, it it reinforces and and informs and sometimes defines your identity. It's a restful, happy place. That's why it's so important as we open the scriptures, we start just at the beginning. You you see the garden when this furtive snack that Adam and Eve share in secret um, is so important that they disobeyed God by breaking a rule that he'd given. But this unraveling played out over a meal. This unraveling is recorded as a breakdown of intimacy and companionship and respect, knowing and being known, acceptance, safety, identity. It's the loss of this restful and happy place. Night after night, prior to that meal, prior to that little snack, our first parents, they're walking with God in the cool of the evening breeze. They're naked and unashamed. As you imagine these walks, they're, they're walking, they're talking, they're face to face. They're probably pulling fruit off the trees as they walk um, that they're allowed to eat and sharing it together. But all of a sudden, after that meal, a snack gobbled down in haste and doubt, they're hiding from God. They're ashamed, they're alone, they're unknown to themselves and shielding themselves from their best friend. They're unsafe, they're spiraling in confusion, they're restless, they're unhappy. And and through the rest of the scripture and over the next five weeks, we're just gonna take an overview. It's interesting that symmetrically, God uses these meals to pull his people back. God uses these meals because... The gospel of the covenant of God, the gospel of God moving in to your turf and taking up residence in your heart, in your life. It's not just information, it's real. And God uses these meals to pull us in and to restore us to this face-to-face 
intimacy and to help us through these meals to not so quickly and easily forget him. Meals produce embedded memories. Information can come and go. I was talking to Paul in the lobby before coming in here and he asked me someone's name, someone I know very well, and I could not remember this person's name. I left my wallet at home today. My wife had to bring it here to me. It's easy to forget things, informational things, like put your wallet in your back pocket or, <laughs> or that guy's name is Jay. <laughs> but it's hard, to, it's hard to forget a meal. It's not so easy. So let's just look through some of what we've heard um, and, and make a few uh, observations. Just three really quick ones um, that we're going to see the covenant defined. We're going to see covenant reminders and this covenant experience. And if you're taking notes, that might be frustrating for you because they're really asymmetrical in terms of how much time we're going to spend on them. But the, the covenant is defined in the law. It's summarized in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is this book that's a, um, it's a compilation of three sermons that Moses gives just as the Israelites are about to enter the promised land. So they're out of Egypt they're across the Red Sea, they've entered the desert, they've meandered there for 40 years, and now finally, they're about to go across the river and into all that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and to the parents of these people when they got delivered out of Egypt. And so now they're about to go, and it's kind of like um, being in a locker room before the big game. And the coach is, is taking this one last chance to kind of gather everybody around and say, take a knee. Here's the stuff that we need to remember when we go out there and play tonight. Um, and so it's these three sermons. And they're that. It's not just a pep talk. It's, it's a summary of all that's contained in the law, these laws and statutes that in Deuteronomy we hear Moses say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. It's just kind of like in your brain somewhere, tucked away. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house or when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. A lot hinges on Israel remembering to do this or forgetting. If you remember to do this, it's going to go well for you and you're going to multiply and you're going to prosper and you're going to flourish and you're going to stay safe and we're going to maintain this face-to-face -face relationship. I'm going to be the, your God, the one who delivered you out of Egypt, but if you forget, I'm going to throw you out of the land. So these words, these statutes, these commandments that Moses is referring to, they're really important. They're central. And central to these statutes laid out for Israel, if you go back through the Pentateuch and if you go through just in a cursory way, reading through the headings of Deuteronomy, um, central to these statutes are seven feasts, meals. 
like shrink wrap over a lot of commandments, right? Like you're, you're going to hear a lot of commandments, but then you're going to get it gathered up to you and delivered to you and made real for you through these different feasts. And these different fr- feasts lay out the calendar so that you're month-to-month experience of living as a child of God and as one that he's delivered and one who is called to love him with all your heart and your mind and your soul. These feasts, they're like, I know that I'm, I use too many illustrations, so I'm sorry about that, but I can't help it. They're like speed bumps, right? Like if you... Uh, are used to driving on a road and, and it's just like uh, free and clear like I, I, I did growing up and, and it was a 25 mile an hour thing that went along the Hampton Roads body of water and you could jam down that thing, um, especially at night as a teenager. And, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, like one day you are cruising through there and you think you hit something, you think you hit something like there's no deer there so you don't think it's a deer but you think it's like a tricycle or something <laughs> and it's a speed bump and so from then on you've got to go 25 because there you're going to wreck your car if you don't so these feasts are put throughout the year to slow us down to slow God's people down and to remember stuff like we can just get so busy and preoccupied doing our life and that's what they were doing and it's so easy to forget when you're in that mindset. But these feasts are there and that's the way I like to think of them. They're, they're these things that God put there to make us slow down. They're much like our church calendar today. We start our year with Advent and it culminates in the feast of Christmas. And then later in the spring, we observe Lent and it culminates in these holy days, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. And then there's this feast of Eastertide. There's the Ascension, there's Pentecost. Well, like that in Israel, the Passover celebrated God delivering Israel from death and slavery. The Festival of Unleavened Bread celebrated God delivering Israel from um, the hand of slavery as well. And the, feast, the Festival of First Fruits celebrated God's gift of the coming harvest. The Festival of Weeks celebrated God's gift of the harvest. The Festival of Trumpets was a signal to the coming new year and a reminder that our time is in God's hands. The Day of Atonement celebrated God's taking away sin and the Festival of Booths celebrated God's provision in the wilderness. There were so many opportunities that were commanded to the people of God to to observe and to teach other people around you to observe, to slow down and remember that everything you have comes from God. This wasn't just information. Imagine the law as we know it without these feasts. I mean, it's just rules, right? It's just rules. Imagine parenting your children without any kind of connection to them, without any kind of affection, without any kind of time that you're spending. Man, that would be dry and you as a parent would be easily forgettable that's not how God set it up 
God set up, he did give us rules. There is a respect that he calls from us and an obedience that he calls from us. But these feasts are like these anchors throughout it, these opportunities where we slow down and, and we go and we, uh, and we enjoy him. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. There are covenant reminders throughout scripture. So if this is the covenant defined, here are these rules, but also here are these feasts that you have to come to and you have to observe. What are they? We'll get to that in a minute, but, but just one liner. These rules that Moses is talking about, every generation of Israel got a prophet, right? If you look through the prophets chronologically, pretty much like everyone had a prophet where God is sending someone to say, um, return to me. Like that's the refrain through all the prophets. There's tons of different things, themes and whatever through all the prophets. But if you skim through the prophets or if you have Bible software and you just put in return to me, that's, that's the thing that the thread that goes through all the prophets. It's God calling back to Israel who's wandering off and who's forgetting. And he's not saying, do my rules better. He's saying, come back to the table. Come back. Return to me. This is what it's about. Man, if you return to me, this other stuff is going to take care of itself. If you return to me, if you pull up a chair and come back to the table and look me in the face, that's like picking up the, 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 the handle of a, a marionette like that's just on the floor all jumbled up. If you return to me, all this other stuff is going to figure itself out. Upon these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Come back to the table. So what happens at these meals? At these feasts, the Israelites are commanded to observe. You get your family and friends and travelers and employees. Anybody that is attached to your household you gather those folks together and then you lay aside other priorities so that you can slow down and make preparations to go to the tabernacle or later to the temple and you bring an offering. You always go with an offering. Every single feast, every single occasion of going to the tabernacle or to the temple involves bringing something with you to be sacrificed. And you observe the reminders, whatever the liturgy of that feast is, whether it's the new year or the first fruits or the harvest or the forgiveness of sins, to remember that part of God, to remember that he's the one that does that for you. And then these priests that serve as direct representatives of Yahweh, these priests, they're face to face with you. They're looking you in the eye. They're taking that sacrifice from you directly. And then that person directly representing God is going to butcher that animal or receive that grain, whatever it is. Usually it's an animal. You, they're going to um, sacrifice that animal and then they're going to take whatever that food is a portion of it, and they're going to share it with you. You're going to sit down and you're going to share some of this meal with them. You're going to eat together. That's called the peace offering, whatever it is. So this is what God's trying to communicate, this intimacy. And then at the end of that meal, the priest, 
commanded by God directly to Moses to tell Aaron and all of his sons, this is how I want you to put my name on my people. After all this stuff has happened and you've had this intimate meal and you've brought your sacrifice and you've experienced atonement, the priest puts his hands out and there probably is blood on them. And the priest says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's how God wants his name put on his people. That's happening all throughout the year. Jesus says later on, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That pairs really well and parallels very closely to the Deuteronomy passage that we heard. Jesus said to the church at Laodicea and to you and to me, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and that very person will eat with me. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, I see your deeds and your toil under the sun. He sees our endurance. He sees their clarity and courage regarding disputed theological matters. The church in Ephesus was working hard. They were enduring a lot and they were standing for the faith. But Jesus says, I have this against you. Essentially, he says, you left the table. You're just out there doing all this stuff, thinking that that's what it's about. But you've left your first love. He says, remember from where you have fallen and repent and return to the first and greatest work, loving me. Jesus, in John and in, in these letters to the churches, He's saying that in a way our whole relationship is defined or at least framed best by a protracted, intimately shared meal on our turf. The, the gospel, the good news, this covenant, again, is it an announcement? Yeah, there's an announcement about it. There's news about it. There's information about it. But this covenant, it's not that any more than a newborn baby is the birth announcement or a wedding is the wedding invitation. It's not that. It's this living, breathing, day in, day out, intimate, face-to-face -face relationship that's best described or illustrated by God most often through meals. Yahweh is looking to move in and make his home with you. He isn't looking to just put you off to work at a distance. Working for God is no good if we've left the first priority of abiding with him intimately. A few thoughts in closing. First, in terms of how can we experience this more? How can we press into this? and allow this seed to germinate. I think in our lives and in, in this day and age especially, 
with the vertical climb of technology and busyness and this frenetic pace and constant distraction where we're just going a million miles a minute and we're a millimeter thin. We have to slow down. We just have to slow down. We have to slow down and intentionally find time to be quiet and alone. Without our phone, without our computer or our tablet, and we can do this, we don't have to wait for a feast, though we have them, and we should use them. The Holy Spirit's here, and the Holy Spirit's with you. And you can anytime take time intentionally to sit and to be quiet and to enjoy face-to-face time with your creator, to listen, to enjoy, to rest, to meditate. I was having a tough week um, during certain parts of this week. A few things had happened, um, not here, but, you know, in my other relationships, and they were difficult. And Aubrey came into my office and asked how I was doing, and I kind of told him. And he asked, have you had time to just sit with God and, and be with him? in the midst of this and just be quiet. And I hadn't, I mean, that's not my MO, not for a while. I like to try to just put the hammer down and blaze through it and hope for clear skies, you know, 150 miles from here, (laughs) but it doesn't work. And that anxiety and that pain, it comes out sideways somewhere else. But that's something that I think we can direct ourselves to and be intentional about in light of what our life is like and how easy it is for us to just reduce everything to information. That's not how God created us. And that's not what the covenant is like. The covenant is like a feast. The covenant is like a protracted meal. The covenant is like intimacy and face to face and quiet and slow. The words abide, love, sit, meditate, Rest, they get so much airtime in the Bible and in the New Testament out of Jesus' mouth. In fact, if you look at John's gospel and you think about that conclusion about if you love me, you're going to do what I say. And if you do that, then I'm going to come and the Father's going to come and we're going to make our home with you. What is the underlying command that Jesus is pointing to in John's gospel? It's to love him. It's not to do a bunch of stuff. Another idea or another way that we can press into this is in just a moment as we come to the communion table and we receive every week when we do this, we can do this slowly. We can do this contemplatively. We can do this thoughtfully. (laughs) You're receiving bread and you're receiving wine from someone up here, me or Aubrey or or Molly, or Jim, or Brenda. There's a a bunch of people up here. But as you come here, Jesus is saying, come to my table. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. You're coming to this table and being fed directly by Jesus in a spiritual way. Jesus, who wants to maintain and hold eye contact with you, every moment of your life until the end of the age.
So as we come here, it's not an, an Anglican ritual. It's a meal with Jesus. In your hurry, in your hurt, in your regrets, in your joys and in your victories, in your uncertainty, in all of it, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He's knocking right now. The question for you and for me is, will we open the door? Even with the dirty dishes and the unfolded laundry and the skeletons in the closet, will we open the door and let him in? Amen.